songs like this. Songs about your great love toward us. Songs about your son coming to this earth to be our saviour. Songs about belonging to this wonderful family of God. It is just so great. We are so thankful. And now as we come to hear your word explained to us, we just pray that you'll give Peter your words to say and that you'll give us ears that will hear and understand and obey your word. So we commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Well, I just returned uh, half an hour ago from, uh, where was this, from Jeff White's farm. Right, uh, and if I remember right, it's in a place called Piripiri, is it? Jeff White's farm, that's right. It was a wonderful time that we had in the camp. Lots of young people. We had most of our young people with us and about 12 adults. So it was a wonderful time in the camp. Um, just a brief description of what we have been doing uh, with the young people. And this year we have been going through the Gospel of Mark. And when I say Gospel of Mark, uh, it's primarily the first 11, or sorry, first nine chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, the way we went uh, through the Gospel of Mark was uh, very interesting because, if you know, unlike John, the Gospel of John, John starts, as someone said, from top down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? And the Word became flesh. Whereas Mark starts from bottom up. So Mark first portrays who this man was before portraying him as the Savior. And that's, what, that's the approach that we took with our young people. So every Saturday, we presented various aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ. His power over nature. His power over death. Uh, his power over sicknesses, leprosy. Uh, so we went through various aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ, never presented him as a savior, but just concluded every message and saying, who is this man? Who is this man? And in the camp, uh, yesterday night, around the campfire, the gospel was finally presented by Jeff Samuel. So he, Jeff collated all what we said and said, this man has to be unique. And who is this man? He is our Savior and our Lord. And the gospel was presented. It was wonderful. It was a marvelous time that we had in the camp. Of course, we uh, did other things too. Uh, we went hunting, fishing, healing, caving, whatever. Right? And the camp, being a camp, uh, did not lack its casualties. Right? Um, well, we had, on Saturday, we split into two groups. Uh, Phil Gaston went with one group to the cave. And Phil being Phil, not long into the cave, he struck his head on the roof, uh, on the rocks, and split open here. Of course, it was a flesh wound. Uh, but he was bleeding. <laughs> right? And knowing Phil, he didn't bother. He just continued with it. Right? And after three hours, he emerged. Um, his face was like a beetroot. <laughs> but he was all right. So he went to the camp and got himself washed up. And then uh, he decided to take the young people um, on a ticket tour around the farm on four-wheel drives. Right? So, and here he was hanging in, the, in Jeff's uh, four-wheel drive and suddenly he bumped his head and, and opened the wound again. Right? So everyone ran to him and then Ruth Gaston came and looked at him and said, Hey, toughen up, man. 
<laughs> and everybody disappeared from uh, Phil and Phil, poor Phil had to hold his head and come back to the camp. <laughs> well, we had our casualties, but nothing happened to the young people. That was great. Right? And the second casualty, of course, was me. I took another group uh, hunting goats. And I didn't realize that I was about um, 40 years older than <laughs> some of these young people and went chasing after goats and sprained my groin. So I have something in common with Dan Carter. That's my <laughs> claim to fame. You know, the good thing is we shot two goats and uh, Phil, the Fijian guy who was with us, he and his family were with us, he cooked us the most beautiful goat curry. Wow, that was great, right? I mean, it was finished off uh, without any problem at all. And then people came back for seconds for the goat curry. There was no goat curry. So all they did was they took rice and just poured the juice on top and just ate. Right? So that was great. Um, it was the tastiest goat curry that I, ever, that I ever ate. So that was good. So the casualty had its happy ending. Right, so today's passage is uh, another thing about the young people. Please pray for our young people because next day is going to be a tough year. As you know, Phil Gaston and uh, his family are moving to Auckland. They won't be here with us, so there'll be a, a void in our the young people. And anyone here who wants to step up and be involved with the young people, please let us know. We'd like you all to be involved. Right? All you need to do is to be able to run half as fast as the young people. <laughs> That's all we need. That's the only qualification that we would need. Right, so my today's message is on a topic which I've been wondering as to how I should speak on, which is the worker deserves his wages. The worker deserves his wages. So we are continuing our study uh, from the book of Corinthians. Right, and, our, and today's message will be taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. The worker deserves his Wages. So if you have your scriptures, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Now this reminds me of a, a joke that once I got from the internet, right? If you want great sermon jokes, go to the internet and type sermon jokes and get plenty of these things, right? <laughs> and there was these three young boys, each one of them boasting about their dad, right? So the first young boy said, you know, my dad. He scribbles something on a piece of paper, he calls it a poem, and they give him $100. Well, the other boy said, well, that's nothing. My dad scribbles on a piece of paper, and they call it a song, and he gets $500. And the third boy said, well, my dad beats all of you all. He scribbles something on a piece of paper, they call it a sermon, and then you need four people to go around the church collecting money. Right? Well, that... <laughs> If only those money bags were full, <laughs> right? So my topic for today, as I said, is about whether Christian full-time workers deserves a wage or a living wage, whether it's scriptural to pay Christian workers, whether it's scriptural, whether it's scriptural to financially support one who is involved full-time in the Lord's work. So if you have your scriptures, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Now, this is what... Paul deals with. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Uh, certain parts of the passage are, are a bit difficult to understand uh, or to comprehend in the first reading. So what we'll do is we'll read through and refer back as we go through the, uh, the study. So I'll read from verse 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. 
Am I not an apostle, Paul says? Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Uh, have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. That's what Paul says. Why? Because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And now my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads on the grain. Is it the oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For your sakes, for our sakes, no doubt. This is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who treasures in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if you reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the holy things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done to me, for it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if it against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my stewardship then? What is my reward then? That I should preach the gospel, that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Now, the intent of Paul in, in the passage that we just read uh, was to defend the two things Paul intends from this passage. Number one was to defend his apostleship. And number two, the right to receive financial support. These were two things that Paul addresses here in this passage. So let me clarify. For example, in verse 1, Paul asks a question, Am I not an apostle? And then in verse 4, he asks another question. Do we have no right to eat or drink? So the former question was with regards to his apostleship, and the latter question was his regard to the right of material or financial support. Right? So that is the two things that Paul attempts to deal with in these few verses. Now, just to digress a little, in order to uh, understand the context behind these statements, it is important for us to first understand Acts chapter 18. 
right? Acts chapter 18 was when Paul went and when the Corinthian church was started. So when Paul first visited the Corinthian church, we, we read in Acts chapter 18 that he stayed with husband and wife. He stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. And who were they? What was their occupation? They were tent makers, Aquila and Priscilla. And Paul was of the same occupation. That was what Paul was, of the same occupation. So Paul engaged in tent making while staying with Aquila and Priscilla and preached the gospel in Corinth. He never received any material support or financial support from the church in Corinth. Why? Because Paul says here he chose not to do so. Right? He exercised that freedom. He chose not to do so. So he preached the gospel. He did not receive any financial support while preaching, preaching the gospel. He was involved in tent-making ministry so that the gospel will not be hindered in any way. Now I'll, I'll describe as to what it means not be hindered in any way. But as the church grew, as it grew, it began to support other apostles that we just read. For example, it supported the brother of the Lord. It's, uh, and the church supported Cephas. We read this in uh, this passage here. And also perhaps also supported other Jews who, who, who turned from the Judaism and are now involved in full-time ministry. However, Paul continued with his financial independence from the church in Corinth. Right? You get that when you read this passage. He continued his independence, financial independence from the church. Now, unfortunate thing about Corinth is this. When the Corinthian church started to grow, divisions started to creep in. Right? And I can still remember having a chat with Bruce uh, in the camp. You know, we were in front of the river. Um, Bruce had just skinned the goat and we were having a chat. And one of the things Bruce asked me is, why can't believers get together? Well, human nature. Why can't we get together? Right? So when the church grows, divisions crept in. We see this in the church in Corinth. Some were followers of Cephas. Some were of Apollos. Some were of Paul. Right? They started following different, different camps. We read of this, this division in chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. And Paul, as we have just mentioned, so far had been financially independent from the church in Corinth. But perhaps, this is just, I'm, I'm just suggesting here, perhaps some would have suggested, hey, why not we start supporting Paul and Barnabas financially? Why don't we do that? Why not we start supporting Paul and Barnabas? However, possibly those who did not belong to the camp of Paul, what would they, they have said? Oh no, I don't think he's a true apostle. And I don't think he has a right for any financial support. That would have been the background to this. And therefore, to defend his apostleship and his right to receive financial support, Paul penned these verses that we just read. And that's what Paul did, right? Pen these verses that we just read. So let us first look at the evidence of his apostleship. What was the evidence of his apostleship? Now, we must be aware of people today who claim to be apostles. There are many who claim to be apostles. Right? Uh, almost putting themselves on par with the early church apostles. Now, I have a, a brother-in-law who calls himself an apostle. <laughs> right? Cleon is not here, so I can freely say that. <laughs> right? um, delete that statement. Right? So, I have a brother-in-law who calls himself an apostle. He belongs to the Pentecostal church, an extreme Pentecostal church. And he also named his wife a prophet. So, <laughs> so in that church, we have an apostle and a prophet. 
Uh, now, these are titles that are used by denominations today as status symbol, never recognizing what these mean. Right? What constitutes an apostle? Now, the Greek word for apostle uh, is uh, apostolos, that's in Greek. It means a delegate or an envoy, the one who represents someone who sent him. Right? The one who represents someone who sent him. And that's what an apostle is. So, in the early church, there were many apostles. Right? But they were not apostles of the Lord. But as Brother Robbie often says, they are the apostles of the church, right? They are often the people who are sent by the church. So in that sense, they are an envoy of the church or an apostle of the church. However, there were only 12 apostles of the Lord, commissioned by the resurrected Lord, right? directly commissioned by the resurrected Lord. So these are the people who have seen the risen Lord, commissioned by the resurrected Lord, and Paul can lay claim to that fact. How do we know that? Well, look at Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. He met the resurrected Lord, uh, resurrected Lord. And also, on the road to Damascus, God called Paul to be an apostle to whom? To the Gentiles. He was specially commissioned to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Right? So, to add further proof of his apostleship, he says, Hey, listen, I have been commissioned as an apostle to the Gentiles. I have preached the gospel to you, and many of you here in Corinth, who are in the church, are Gentile believers. You are the result of my ministry. You are the seal of my apostleship. And that's what Paul says in verse 2. If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am an apostle to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now one can almost feel the pain of Paul. Right? When he writes, just imagine this. Here is a, an old man. Who has given his life to the gospel, right? Who has been financially independent of the church, working with his own hands so that the gospel not, not be hindered in any way. And here was a church in growing in Corinth that was growing, and then you have some sect or some group saying, Hey, listen, Paul is not an apostle. He does not deserve any financial support. So one can almost feel the pain when Paul pens these few verses. Second, Paul deals with another aspect. Should full-time workers be paid? Should full-time workers be paid? So after clarifying his authority as an apostle, Paul now turns to his right to receive financial support from the Corinthian church. Now, let me tell this to you. Before we proceed with this issue of financial support, I can say this because I am a brethren right through, right? I'm not saying that I was a brethren when I was born, no, but I was brought up in a Brethren Church. My, my mother attended the Brethren Church. I grew up from the Brethren Church as a Sunday school uh, kid, right? And I knew no other church other than the Brethren Church. So I'm an out and out Brethren. So if you cut my wrist here, you will see the bee flowing through, right? In every blood drops that comes out, right? So, <laughs> so I know that in the Brethren Church, there are people who hold different views with regards to paying full-time workers. And I'm sure if I look at the circle around here, or people around here and conduct a survey, there might be different views with regards to paying full-time workers. Uh, I'm sure to find many who hold a strong view, and I'm certain that uh, after today's message, some will come and speak to me about this, the view that uh, we must not pay full-time workers. Right? And they hold to the view that the full-time workers must look to the Lord for support. Right? 
And the view is that if they do not look to the Lord for support, then they are not living a life of faith. And I've seen that and I've heard that. Uh, and being a brethren church, uh, involved in the brethren church, I must tell you that, confess to you that I also had that view for quite some time. Right. Now, I'm telling this to you, there's nothing unscriptural about that view. Let me tell this to you, right? There's nothing unscriptural. So I'm not saying here that this is unscriptural. No, there's nothing unscriptural about this view. I know of many missionaries who have lived that way, right? Never ever ask for anyone for, for any support. Not even a single cent. They're always dependent on the Lord for support. And the Lord has never let them down. They're not lacked anything. I know that. Right? Even if man does not provide, the Lord would. Why? Because the Lord is no man's debtor. Right? I, I remember a missionary uh, from Thailand, uh, Peter and Peggy Ferry, and I'm sure many of you know that, Pete and Peggy Ferry, I knew them from the time that I was knee-high to a grasshopper, as someone says, right? So, when I was very, very young. Uh, and Pete and Peggy uh, used to come and stay at our place when they come and visit Sri Lanka. And I can still remember Peter, right? He has just retired uh, and he was in Scotland. And he just told this story to me. He said that when I was a, a missionary working for many years, I think over 45 years in Thailand, in Malaysia and Thailand, he said, I never asked anyone, for the Lord has always provided just at the right time for my need. And he said, when I was retiring, Pete and uh, my wife Peggy and I were praying where we should live because they did not have a house, right? And he said, miraculously, the month that he retired, someone gifted a house to them, right? It was almost a miracle, right? So let me tell this to you, there's nothing unscriptural about this. Right? There are many who look to the Lord for support, and that's their choice that they're choosing. There's nothing unscriptural about it. However, the problem lies here. If people insist that there's, this is the only view, and that there's no other, then I believe that this is a, a problem. Right? And in the passage that we read here, Paul certainly makes it very clear to us that full-time workers has the right to receive financial support from the church. I've read this passage time and time again, and I find no other reasons to doubt uh, any other opposing view, right? Full-time workers have the right to receive financial support from the church, right? Now, let me stress one more point. You might not agree with me, right? The right for financial support not only covers their own personal needs, the needs of the apostle, but also must cover and extend to the upkeep of their believing wives. Right? This is what I believe. This is what it says in verses 4 and 5. Now read verses 4 and 5. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Now here, Paul here does not mean, do we have no right to get married? Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean, do we have no right to get married? No. Do we have no right to bring along a believing wife and be supported while being involved in the ministry, right? So it's very, very clear here that the financial support extends not only to the one who is involved in the full-time ministry, but also to the family that is dependent on the full-time worker, right? Now you might ask me this question. How do we know that? Why do you say it's scriptural? Paul uses four reasons. He gives four reasons to defend his right to be financially supported. Now, let me stress again, it's only a right that Paul defends, right? 
So he gives four reasons. He draws from the reasoning of human affairs. We see that in verse 7 from human affairs. He draws from the Mosaic law in verses 8 to 10. He draws from the practice that is instituted in the temple, the practice in the temple in verse 13, and a clear directive from the Lord in verse 14. So there are four things that he draws from, four aspects. Paul first uses three examples from the earthly occupation. And, I, and in my opinion, I think there were many people involved in the Corinthian church who were from these occupations. And that is why he drew examples from them, from these uh, occupations. And he uses these examples, the soldier, the farmer, and the shepherd, right, to stress his point. So he first brings it from a human view or a human point of view. No soldier, he says, will go to war on his own, at his own expense, right? No one does that. You ask the government of New Zealand, I'm sure most of the soldiers who join the New Zealand army are the most well-paid people. Well, I'm not saying the most well-paid, but they're well looked after. They have to be looked after, right? And we all know that. So no soldier, no soldier will go to war at his own expense. His earthly affairs are well taken care of. They don't mind, want their minds to be distracted with anything else. No farmer will ever plant a vineyard and not partake of its fruit. Right? And then no shepherd will tend a herd and not partake of the milk that comes from the herd. So Paul's argument is very clear. And his argument is this. If these earthly occupations recognizes the need for support, for financial uh, reward or financial support, how much more should it be recognized for the Lord's service and the service for the Lord? Right? Now, some may turn and say, well, these are merely earthly pursuits or earthly jobs, an earthly point of view, but the Lord's work is very different. Right? So some may bring that argument. See what Paul says in verse 8. Do I say these things as mere man? Or as NIV puts it very clearly, do I merely say this from a human point of view? Do I merely say this from a human point of view? Paul then goes on to uh, draw from the Mosaic law, from the Old Testament scriptures, to back his argument that it's scriptural. It's a scriptural point of view. And to back his argument that full-time workers are or should receive financial support. So Deuteronomy chapter 25 Verse 4 is what Paul refers to. And in verse 9, he says this, You shall not muzzle an ox, for it's written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads its corn, while it treads the grain. Now, in the Mosaic law, the ox should not be muzzled, but should be given the freedom to eat of the harvest while it treads the grain. That was the Mosaic law. So Paul Ask this question, was this law given to protect the rights of the animal or to show kindness to the ox? <laughs> right, so if, of course if you are a greenie you will say yes. Right, uh, but was it given for that purpose? Or was it given as a lesson to us? Well, Paul says in the first part of verse 10, yes, it is given as a lesson to us. The instruction of the Mosaic law is altogether given for our sakes, given as a lesson for us. And that's what Paul says. Full-time workers who are involved in plowing and threshing. And that's how Paul uses. He uses the word plowing and, th and threshing. Full-time workers who are involved in that should have the hope or the expectation that they would be partakers of that harvest. In verse nine, chapter 9, verse 10, For our sakes, no doubt that it is written that he who plows should plow in hope. 
and he who treasures in hope should be partakers of his hope. Right? So they should expect or they should have the expectation that they will be supported from the very work that they are involved in. And this is what Paul says in verse 11, that if spiritual things are sown, then it's not a great thing to reap material things from the church in Corinth. So that's the second argument. Then Paul also uses the example of priests in the temple service. And what is the example? Those who are involved in temple service, Paul says, partake of the gifts and offerings made to the temple. Those who serve on the altar of the sacrifice, uh, well, sorry, those who serve on the altar partake of the sacrifice that are made on the altar. And these are examples that Paul uses to drive home the point that it is entirely scriptural for full-time workers to receive financial support from the church. And just to round it off, right, he brings his main point of argument. Paul then completes his argument by bringing the command that was given by the Lord. And we read of this command in Matthew chapter 10 verse 10 and Luke chapter 10 verse 7. And Luke 10 verse 7 says this, that the laborer is worthy of his wages. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, when you refer to the parable of the laborers uh, that you find uh, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, you can say that, you can see that the, uh, the, the master of the, of the vineyard was determined, was determined to give each and every person a living wage, a denarius a day. Doesn't matter when you come from, you know, you would have worked work from six in the morning or you had worked for only one hour. But it does not matter. Everyone got the same denarius a day, which is the minimum living wage. Now, I don't want to expand on this, but one thing that I'm clear about is this. A full-time worker, yes, should receive financial support, right? But the financial support that he receives from the Lord should be sufficient as a living wage, right? Now, I'm not saying that that person should receive, you know, um, uh, the similar pay of a CEO of a company of millions of dollars. Right. For example, you can uh, hear of things that are happening in TV. Uh, the Destiny Church, where as a gift to that person's birthday, they gave him and his wife a $70,000 gift you know, as a cruise uh, in a ship. I'm not, I'm not talking about those type of uh, excesses. Right? But the Bible is very clear. It's a living wage that is spoken of here. A denarius a day is what a living wage is about. Of course, let me tell you these things. That there are constraints that sometimes churches face. Uh, to pay full-time workers, the availability of funds may be there, right, to pay full-time workers. However, this does not remove the teaching, the scriptural teaching that the full-time worker has the scriptural right for financial support from the church, right? And that is very, very clear from these verses. Paul, more, more so than other apostles, should receive material support, financial support from the church in Corinth. They are the seal of his apostleship. He defends this right. But that does not necessarily mean that Paul exercised this right, right? Let me tell this to you. Although he defended the right, it does not necessarily mean that he exercised that right. And Paul says this in verse 12. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right. We have not used this right. But endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. 
Now, Paul actually chose to be involved in the tent-making ministry, especially with regards to the Corinthian church, so that the gospel of Christ may go unhindered. Now, Paul also explained that he is not writing this epistle so that they would finally pay him some money. Paul doesn't say that, right? See what verse 15 says. But I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things, that it should be done to me. No, no. Paul says, I'm not writing this to you because I'm desperate to receive some money from you. Right? Uh, but he says that I have exercised that right myself not to take any financial support from you and to be involved in tent-making ministry. Now, Paul's motivation here not to exercise his right for financial support. Why? Well, for the sake of the gospel. Very clear. Paul chose to exercise his tent-making ministry because of the situation that was surrounding the Corinthian church when he went there. And that's something that is important for us to understand. It was Paul's choice, not a scriptural directive. All right? It was Paul's choice, not a scriptural directive to be involved in tent-making ministry. So there is no way we can go to a full-time work and say, according to the Bible, you should be involved in tent-making ministry. No. Right? It's that person's choice. But the scriptural directive is that they should be involved or we should be paying full-time workers, supporting them in their work. Why was this? One thing you must understand is that the city of Corinth was a business-minded city. It was a business community. And Paul did not want any unbelievers to think that he was involved in a money-making venture. And that's something that you need to understand. If you look at the city of Corinth in Greek, the city of Corinth had many philosophers. Right? Who are the philosophers? These were people who did nothing but came up with one silly idea after another. Right? These were the philosophers. And how were they supported? Well, they were supported by their followers. Now, Paul did not want to class himself in that same category. Right? He did not want to class himself in the same category, nor to be painted as someone who is involved in a money-making venture. But what does he say? He said, I rather suffer loss. I rather endure hardship than to hinder the spread of the gospel. That was Paul's choice. He was willing to forego his right to be supported so that it does not appear that he is abusing his authority. He was willing not to receive any financial support so that the gospel may be preached unhindered. I hope that is clear to us. It was Paul's right to exercise that. Now herein lies a very important lesson for us. There are times for the sake of the testimony of the Lord that we refrain from what is legally right. Sometimes we have to do that for the testimony of the Lord. For example, sometimes in the workplace, and I have known some people who do that, in the workplace, they seek not to take certain actions, although they are legally right to take those actions. Right? They seek not to do so. Why? So that the testimony of Christ is maintained. In the previous passage, we uh, saw Philip Williamson bringing this very important point of not exercising the liberty that we have in Christ so that we do not stumble another brother or sister in the Lord. Right? Rather than taking the attitude, oh, we have the perfect right to engage in that particular, particular activities and if my brother or sister don't like it, well, tough luck, it's up to them. Right? And sometimes we do that. So rather than doing that, Paul says we must refrain from that activity for the sake of my brother and sister in the Lord. And that's the same attitude that Paul takes with the preaching and the spreading of the gospel. Right. 
And one thing that we recognize from these passages is for the poor, for Paul, the Apostle Paul, preaching the gospel is not about earning money or earning rewards. That's not what Paul meant here. In fact, Paul says there is no boasting in preaching the gospel. No boasting at all. Why? Because he has been entrusted with the stewardship of the gospel. Necessity is laid on him to preach the gospel. And verse 16 says this, if, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe to me, if I do not preach the gospel. I have been entrusted with this stewardship. And we must all do well to remember that, that we have been entrusted with the stewardship. Necessity is laid upon us to preach the gospel. When I say preach the gospel, it does not mean to get on to this pulpit and bang your fist on the pulpit and preach the gospel. No. By being an example in your workplace is a means of communicating the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been entrusted with that stewardship. Right? It's not a means of going and getting reward. That's been a necessity, I would say, is laid upon us. And Paul says, woe to me if I do not do that. The only boasting that Paul can do, Paul says, is this. The only boasting that I can do, and I don't want you to remove or take away that boasting from me. The only boasting that I can do is that I have preached the gospel without what? Charge. Right? That's the only boasting. I have preached the gospel without charge. I have preached the gospel without exercising the right for financial support. I have done that. That's the only boasting I can have. But I can't boast in preaching the gospel because woe to me if I don't do that. Necessity is laid upon me. I've been entrusted as a steward of the gospel. And that is what Paul says in these 18 verses. So, in closing, let me tell this to you. Right? As a church, we must recognize that supporting uh, full-time workers is scriptural. Absolutely scriptural. There's nothing unscriptural about it. If a full-time worker decides to exercise a tent-making ministry, very well, very good. That's what Paul did. Right? If a full-time worker wishes to work in the Lord's work without even making his needs known to anyone, so they look to the Lord, and then the Lord provides that person because the Lord is no man's debtor. Very good. Right? But that does not negate or take away the fact that it is scriptural to pay full-time workers and support them in full-time ministry. I'm sure some of you may come and speak to me about this. Right? But this is what the scripture says. And this is what we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us uh, to um, come before your presence. Uh, to recognize the Lord that we have been entrusted with this wonderful stewardship of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that these last two days we have had the opportunity of interacting with these young people and many of them who do not know the Lord Jesus. Father God, we pray that as they have heard Jeff communicating the gospel to them, that the Holy Spirit may use it to Lord to touch the hearts of these young people. Father, we thank you for the time that many have spent here this morning looking at our Lord Jesus Christ and wondering of his, of his wonderful love and grace. And Father God, we, we pray that this coming week that you will use us tremendously in your kingdom, in your ministry. In whatever we do, help us to do it for you. The Savior is precious. In his worthy and matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen.